Welcome to the Friday Five. It's our weekly list featuring five things you should know about, sometimes accompanied by bonus items and rabbit holes I've fallen down. My name is Sarah Rupel, and this week we've got a lot of good stuff for you. I hope last week was a great recharge. I feel like it was for me. I definitely needed that. I hope it was for you as well. If you missed last week's episode, we will be linking to it in the notes. We focused on our mental health and self-compassion. This week, we are jumping back into the headlines, so let's get to our list. Number one, finally, some movement on Medicare-related legislation. It's not the infrastructure bill. It's not the full social spending infrastructure bill. But it is a part of it, so that's progress, right? The Social Spending Infrastructure, or Build Back Better Bill, as we've come to call it, will set an annual $2,000 cap on out-of-pocket spending on drug costs for beneficiaries. It would set that $35 limit on monthly insulin co-pays, and it would allow for Medicare negotiation on certain drug prices. Now, the terms the Democrats came to agreement on are a little different than initial proposals, but they did agree that negotiation on Medicare drug prices can happen after nine years for small molecule drugs and 12 years for biologics. The law is essentially saying that once those types of drugs run through their exclusive phase, Medicare can begin to negotiate their prices. Should a drug company fail to negotiate with the government, they will be subject to an excise tax, which is a tax put on goods at the point of manufacture rather than the point of sale. We'll be linking to a few articles on the legislation in our notes. There's one that was provided to The Hill that has some specifics on percentages of payout. I found that one particularly interesting. Number two. This Wednesday, the Fed wrapped up their monthly two-day policy meeting. With empty shelves, the mess at the ports, and the inflation rate still not where the Fed would like it, many analysts were headed into this week pretty certain that the Fed would begin bond tapering, starting the process of undoing their efforts to essentially hold up the economy during the pandemic. And that's pretty much what happened. The Fed indicated that they would begin tapering bond purchases by $10 billion on long-term treasury bonds per month and by $5 billion on mortgage-backed securities per month for a total taper of $15 billion per month starting in mid-November. As far as raising interest rates, no move there. They will stay between 0 and 0.25%, where they've been sitting for the duration of the pandemic. Policymakers still see the current inflation as a result of supply chain issues caused by the pandemic. However, they did say that they could potentially change their plans depending on how the economy fares in the coming weeks. Consumer prices in September were 4.4% higher than this time last year. The Fed's reported long-term target is 2%. And this jump marks the highest annual inflation since 1991, according to an NPR report. Employment looked good in September, though. 571,000 jobs were added to the workforce, 
In that area, it was the best month for jobs since June of this year. That being said, 7.7 million American workers are still unemployed, so there's still a way to go towards recovery. Number three, very short one here. On Tuesday this week, the FDA gave emergency authorization to the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine for children ages 5 through 11. Not long after that, the CDC gave the vaccine its endorsement as well. Rollout of the vaccine for the 5 to 11 age group is set to begin this weekend. Rite Aid and Walgreens will have appointments available on Saturday at select locations. CVS will start theirs at select locations on Sunday. Appointments can be booked online at each pharmacy's website. Number four, Facebook. Oh, Facebook, there is so, so much going on there. First of all, I guess we'll lead with the fact that late last week, Facebook announced that their company name, the one that includes Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, their suite of products, would be changing to Meta. Mark Zuckerberg wants to take the company into the metaverse, and he thinks that AR and VR technology is where we're headed, so Meta. But that's not all, because Facebook has been in the news a lot lately. Prior to the meta reveal, Facebook had been getting a lot of bad attention in the media. The Wall Street Journal and Gimlet Media reported the Facebook files with the help of whistleblower Frances Haugen. She worked at Facebook in its Civic Integrity Department, and she leaked quite the trove of information to a handful of journalists. She's currently testifying before Congress and Parliament in the UK. And the more that's revealed about Facebook's inner workings, well, the worse it's starting to look for Facebook. The recurring theme is that a lot of the information publicly put out in statements by Facebook does not match what was provided in the documents used to formulate the Facebook files. I've been listening along as the files are published on the journal's podcast, but the full investigation is available on the Wall Street Journal's website, and we'll be linking to both of those resources in our notes if you would like to check them out. But I'm not done yet. Third, back to this week's news. On Tuesday, Facebook announced that it will be shutting down its facial recognition program except for a handful of instances. So no more prompts to tag your family and friends in photos you upload. Automatic alt text will also no longer attempt to identify people on a user's friend list. The technology could be used to verify your identity to access things like financial information or to get into a locked account. There is an interesting twist to all of this, though. The new policy will only affect Facebook. So as far as those other meta products, well, they're still fair game, although, to be honest, I can't say that I've ever noticed the use of facial recognition on Instagram. I will be watching this story, though, because to be honest, I'm curious to see what will come from these leaked documents and the investigation into Facebook. Number five, both Starbucks and Dunkin' announced and released their holiday menus this week. I guess since we got pumpkin spice in August, it's only fitting that we get peppermint mocha now, right? 
I'm okay with that. I have to say, I like peppermint mocha a lot more than pumpkin spice. So we'll start with Duncan. First off, I love the designs on their cups this year. They took their logo and gave it candy cane stripes with cookie crumbs, wrapped it up with a bow, tangled some lights on it, and jumbled the letters in a snow globe. Really fun designs. But on to the libations. A toasted white chocolate signature latte, a white mocha hot chocolate, and a new holiday blend coffee. And then for the food, a new orange cranberry muffin, and pancake minis that are packed with 10 grams of protein. And then, of course, the peppermint mocha signature latte will be back, along with the chicken, bacon, and cheese croissant stuffer. These offerings came out on Wednesday this week. Coming on December 1st, all the holiday-themed and winter-themed donuts. Okay, now let's switch over to Starbucks. Their holiday menu came out on Thursday this week, as did their signature holiday cups and those freebie reusable red cups that are nearly impossible to get. Cups first. They are a red background with white, green, and lilac festive designs that remind me of wrapping paper, but they're fun and festive, and that purple accent is a nice touch. Just one new holiday drink from Starbucks, the non-dairy iced sugar cookie almond milk latte. That will be joined by peppermint mocha, the caramel brulee latte, the chestnut praline latte, toasted white chocolate mocha, and the Irish cream cold brew. Sadly, no juniper latte. That was one I really enjoyed. It only lasted for one season. But moving on to the food and snacks, a sugar plum cheese danish, which sounds delightful, a snowman cookie, the cranberry bliss bar, and the reindeer cake pop that is vanilla cake, frosted with chocolate and decorated to look like Rudolph. I'm not sure if I will make it to Dunkin' or Starbucks first this year, but I will be sure to post the obligatory pick to my Instagram. If you grab a drink from either one, especially one of the new ones, let me know how you like it. You can reach out on Instagram, LinkedIn, or on Ritter's social media accounts. It's pretty much always coffee o'clock as far as I'm concerned, and it's a great way to keep yourself going and give yourself a little treat this AEP. That brings us to this week's treat, or should I say bonus, everything coming to streaming services in November. Now, full confession, I'm 100% ready for Hallmark Christmas movies. I could talk about how Dawson's Creek is coming to HBO Max on November 8th, or talk about how we used to watch that in high school while balancing chemical equations, or how my best friend and I would watch it together over the phone, talking only during commercial breaks. Yes, that was the original watch party. But instead, I found a whole bunch of holiday movies that are coming out in November that I'm excited about, a lot of which are family-friendly. Netflix has The Princess Switch 3, romancing the star with Vanessa Hudgens returning as the same three identical characters, two of which are family, one of which is not. That comes out on November 18th. For kids on Netflix, Elf Pets, Santa's St. Bernard's Save Christmas came out on November 1st. My daughter loves the Elf Pets series. And then one that we both love, Waffles and Mochi's Holiday Feast, comes out November 23rd, 
the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. On Hulu, Madagascar, a little wild holiday goose chase, comes out on Black Friday, November 26th, and then on Disney+, Plus, Home Sweet Home Alone, the reboot of the Home Alone series, debuts next Friday, November 12th. On November 26th, Ice Age, A Mammoth Christmas, and Duck the Halls, which is a Mickey Mouse and Friends special. And then my favorite, we're seeing much more of these lovable puppets lately, and I am so here for it, A Muppet's Christmas, Letters to Santa. That comes out on November 19th, and I will be ready with a huge bowl of popcorn. And I have to note, the classic Muppet's Christmas Carol is already on Disney+. That is a long-standing classic and tradition with my family. I highly recommend that one as well. And that wraps it up for this week's episode. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Stay healthy and stay safe out there, and we will see you next week. The Agent Survival Guide podcast is a production of Ritter Insurance Marketing. This episode was written and produced by me, Sarah Rupel. Script editing by Jack Clark. Artwork by Vivian Zhao. 